0: There's a link in the show notes, or if you're an Instagram user, just message me, Three Steps. That's the number three, S-T-E-P-S, and I'll send you that link. Let today be the day you get started.
1: So I I definitely have a really strong background in um, technology and how that can apply to the creative process. And then I married a computer whisperer. He's a software engineer who, you know, like he, if he has the gift of tongues, it's in the form of uh, programming languages. (laughs)
0: Welcome to Measure Twice, Cut Once, the podcast where we hear quilters and other crafters stories and draw encouragement and even life lessons from them my guest today is Carly Porter. I'm your host Susan Smith and I'm coming to you from my quilting studio stitched by Susan. This is where my long arm Lucy and I spend lots of hours doing freehand edge-to-edge quilting and if you're not a quilter and those terms mean nothing to you it's basically doodling on the surface of a quilt with a 50-pound writing utensil with needle and thread attached at high speed. And if you are a machine quilter, I invite you to tune in to the live and unscripted events that I host on my YouTube channel, also called Stitched by Susan. They're on the first and third Friday of every month. And they are usually one project from start to finish in real time. And they're streamed live. So they're interactive, meaning you can ask questions and get answers about a project while I'm working on it. So I invite you to join me there again the first and third Friday of every month. The quilting community, as I'm sure you already know, is so diverse, so colorful, and supportive. So I invite you to listen in as we meet a new quilter each week and hear their stories. Today's Pins and Needles is brought to you by The Will and Dave Show. Hi, I'm the Will Half of The Will and Dave Show, a short little podcast that myself and the eponymous Dave like to record talking about the things that really matter to us, whether that's social, political, or pop culture. Usually we don't see eye to eye, but more often than not, we can find some common ground in there somewhere. And now, back to pins and needles with a quick tip for all you sharp quilters out there. My tip for you today arises from the project that Lucy the Longarm and I are actually working on. It is a quilt that is strip pieced and it's sewn together on a foundation fabric and then layered for a quilt. And so you've got a lot of layers of fabric and a lot of bulk and thickness going on, especially where there are seam intersections. So I've got three top tips for you when you're working with bulky seam intersections. Number one is slow down your quilting speed. Long arms are super heavy duty machines, but they're not invincible. And if you go too quickly over these bulky areas, you'll end up with skipped stitches or worse yet, a broken or shattered needle. That can be disastrous. So just slow down, maybe even by 50%, and that will help you get a smoother, cleaner stitching result. Secondly, if you have one, try using a spoon-shaped foot. It will almost float over the top of those thick seam allowances and really prevent them being pushed or distorted to one side as you're trying to stitch over them with a regular hopper foot. And thirdly, Choose a quilting design that enables you to fudge a little bit where your stitching line lands. I always think it's preferable to stitch right over those thick areas. That helps them to lay down as flat as possible and produce, I think, the best look in a finished quilt. So choosing a design that enables you to kind of fudge where your stitching lines land can really help in achieving that result. You know, I love my coffee. In fact, I've got a fresh pot brewing right now. If you are interested in supporting this podcast, you can go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash stitched by Susan. There for the price of one delicious coffee, you are able to make a one-time contribution or sign up for a monthly one if you so desire. Thank you so much for your support. I really appreciate it. And maybe take a moment now to refill your cup as you settle back to enjoy today's interview. Carly Porter is an artist, and happily for us, she considers quilts and fabrics her medium. She is a Houston Festival ribbon winner. She's the creative brain behind graffiti quilting. She's a very accomplished digital designer. And she knows a lot of the roses and thorns of being a solopreneur. So let's meet her. Carly, thanks so much for joining me today. I am looking forward to our visit.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: I have been following you since I think probably before you ever won your first ribbon and kind of burst onto the scene with your graffiti quilting but let's let's back up even before that so we have some background of what led up to that I kind of want to know what came first in your life was it artistry or was it making or how did how did you get introduced to the world of quilts?
1: Um, That's a wonderful question because I answer this one a lot. I consider myself an artist who happens to make quilts, not a quilter who makes art. So my journey with artistry came long, 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 long before I learned how to quilt. And so now my journey within quilting is kind of just fabric and thread is the medium that I have found and I've stuck with. Um, And it's kind of the medium where I have been able to apply all of my artistic skills that I've had since childhood. So definitely the art came first and the quilting came second for me.
0: I love to hear that your artistry came first because for me, it was the opposite. So I find that so interesting. I never considered myself artistic in my whole life until I got a mechanized needle and thread under my hand and, and away I went. So it's just so interesting how we all approach it differently. So I do have one burning question, though, because I think your first, it seems to me from where I'm standing, that your first launch into the quilting world was the Houston show at which you took your musical symphony quilt. What in the world was that like, going to Houston for the first
1: time? Yeah, that was so, so insane. I would say that my quilting journey started a little, a tad bit before that. Um, But definitely the Quilt Shimmering Symphony was kind of what put me on the map as a quilter and as like kind of someone for people to start watching i think that was kind of where i started to get a little bit of notoriety (laughs) in a sense um so and i had actually been to houston once before so the shimmering symphony quilt um went to houston in 2012 and i had actually gotten to go to houston in 2010 for a different special exhibit called text on textile um and so being able to go to Houston the second time, I kind of understood the gravity and the magnitude of where I was because I had that previous experience um, the couple of years before. And, you know, the the quilt that I made that got into the text on textile um, special exhibit was definitely not anything like um, masterful, uh, but I was very, very honored. And I knew that I was in such... such um, wonderful company just being just having a quilt hanging in houston and so um when i got to go back in 2012 for the award ceremony when shimmering symphony won i it really hit me hard because i understood kind of how huge the magnitude was of being in a show like houston um so yeah so shimmering symphony is kind of the quilt that really put me on the map and it's one that's also special to me not because it won first place but because it was also the first quilt in my journey as an artist when I started doing quilting. That quilt was kind of the first quilt where what I had envisioned in my mind was synchronized with what I had executed with my hands. And as quilters, we know how, how difficult, when you're starting any new hobby, how difficult that is. Where it's like you have good taste and you have good style and you know what you want your quilt to look like but getting it to look that way is like a whole different ballgame. So that quilt is so special to me because for the first time in my life as a quilter, what I had executed was actually what I had envisioned. And so for it to win first place was kind of the cherry on top and kind of the validation, the outside validation that felt really good. But even before, you know, I had entered that quilt into the competition. I felt so good because I felt like my, my physical skills were syncing up with my, um, with my vision. And that was just like a, a rebirth for me as an artist coming into this quilting medium and kind of really, you know, cause like you and I are opposite where you said you started quilting and that's where the artistry emerged, where I feel like I had art and then the quilting emerged. And I think the beautiful thing about both of our experiences is that no matter where you come from, discovering quilting is like a rebirth as an artist. So yeah, so that quilt is very special to me because it felt like I was just this little newborn baby in the quilting industry. And that was kind of like the, the foundation that really launched me into thinking like, okay, it's not just like a hobby I'm good at. This is something that I could really devote my life and have a career out of. And that that's amazing was a huge blessing
0: that's yeah. amazing I mean honestly you made a whole bunch of points in there one of the things that I hear so frequently from quilters is I don't enter quilts in the show because I'm not good enough or or I'm not confident enough or or all those things what do you have to say to that person like what what's the criteria I, I mean I have some ideas but I want to hear yours what's the criteria for being you know air quotes good enough to enter a quilt in a show?
1: um you know that that is such a loaded question i think because it is (laughs) um i have i have such a love-hate relationship with competitive quilting um you know because i've won ribbons and i've also lost and so i think for i guess if i could give advice to anybody who wants to be competitive um make sure your skin is thick and and i've also learned that if i if i make a quilt for the sake of competition I'm usually disappointed. But when Mm -hmm. I make a quilt that feeds my soul and then it happens to win a ribbon or two, then that just becomes an accessory to an already rich and fulfilling journey as an artist. Um, So yeah, so maybe I'm not the best person to ask because I wouldn't first call myself a competitive quilter. I feel like I do the work that I do that feeds me. And then I feel like if it's quote good enough, then I see if it can compete. Um, but you know, that's so hard because it's like the cynical reality is that not every quill <laughs> is good enough air quotes again, you know, for every show. And so if you're chasing that, you're going to be disappointed. So I don't know, maybe that's kind of cynical, but don't hold your breath on your validation, feeding your soul by coming from judges because it's fruitless. <laughs> that's that's an
0: excellent point. I think, too, honestly, there's such a huge range in shows where you can enter quilts. So you have been to Houston and in some of the big shows and entered there and in fact, won ribbons, I actually haven't. So my mind goes more honestly toward local shows shows or regional shows where um, my criteria is kind of, well, if nobody enters quilts, there's nothing to see, right? So just enter your quilt. <laughs> so that's kind of my my um, entry level. You can see where we're different in that. But I can really appreciate that, yes. that, that your validation needs to come before ribbons and judges. Yeah. And they're just a little bit of yeah. happy frosting that you may or may not receive. Really good Totally.
1: Point. Yeah, and I think, and this is kind of a life lesson for me. It definitely applies to quilting, but I I firmly apply this to my life. And it'll sound cynical, but I think there's so much truth behind it that it's, if you drop your expectations for everybody, then you're never going to be disappointed. (laughs) And I know like that sounds cynical to be like, well, yeah, you just don't expect anything. You expect everybody to let you down. But really what that means to me is that if we can just appreciate where each other shows up, judges of quilt shows included, and just appreciate where everybody is coming from then we can see and recognize the beauty within this industry instead of constantly comparing it to what we expected from people around us and i think that definitely applies i mean i feel like i've had i had a really strong um, experience with this exact thing in 2017 and 2018 with the houston quill show so in 2017 um my son was born in june and the Houston quilt show was in October on Halloween. And I was, and I had a quilt in the competition and I, I was feeling pretty confident about it. It wasn't like a thousand hour type quilt. I had spent a lot of time on it, but I also, I I just thought it would be a good show to enter. It wasn't mm-hmm. like I was working on this competition quilt. So I enter the quilt and I get an email saying that I have won a prize, but I don't know which one. And I'm like, okay, well, for all I know, it could be third place. It could be second place and it's my son's first Halloween, and I'm not going to miss it. So I didn't go to the show. Come to find out, I won first place in that category. Oh, my goodness. And I was like, oh, I wish I would have been there. But then at the same time, like, I wouldn't have done it different. I wouldn't have missed my son's first Halloween. But but just appreciating the fact that my quilt did well was just a wonderful blessing and a wonderful way to celebrate with my family on Halloween. And then the following year in 2018 – I really went gung-ho with this competition quilt. Like this was a quilt that took me um, – for anyone who wants to Google it. So the quilt from 2017 is called Disparity, and it has a skull on it. So if anyone wants to look that up. Um, and then the quilt in 2018 is called the Royal Huntress. I remember and this, this quilt one. took me <laughs> – yeah, this one I had very, very – like this was zealous. Um, I had spent 250 hours just designing the quilt before I had the fabric even printed, and then another 200 hours quilting and doing all the beadwork, all the crystals. I had spent more money on supplies, more money on hotfix crystals and beads than any other quilt, Shimmering Symphony included, and I was like this quilt's going to win first place. This quilt's going to win first place. Like I had this thing in my mind. It was a huge quilt. It's like 80 by a hundred inches. It was a showstopper type quilt and it, it went third place. <laughs> so it was like, I had mixed emotions because I was, mm-hmm. I ex- I went in with an expectation that it's like, I'm a blue ribbon winner. Like I got this. Like I'm the type of quilter who wins blue ribbons because I had won a blue ribbon the year before. And so I had all these expectations in my mind. And honestly, I remember when they called, I was at the award ceremony and they called my name for third place and kind of my heart dropped, which is such a stupid thing for that to happen. Like third place in Houston is a freaking big deal, right? Mm -hmm, but, mm -hmm. But my expectations were overshadowing my appreciation Mm -hmm. And I remember remember this vivid thought going through my mind as I was walking up to the stage to accept my award that I consciously said to myself, I'm going to switch. I'm going to appreciate where I am. I'm going to appreciate the magnitude of this opportunity and the honor that it is to win a prize in a show like this. And I remember walking up on stage and I had my friend recording the video of me and I can go back and watch my reaction and by the time I walked up the stage my mind shift my mindset had shifted and I was happy and I felt good and it and so I was grateful that I had learned that lesson so quickly instead of looking like a sore loser on stage accepting a prize
0: so could you see that mental shift in the little video clip
1: I I feel like it and it was kind of funny because even when I walked up on stage um The man who gave me the award, his name is Steve Jeffrey, and he is the um, CEO of Baby Lock um, Sewing Machines. And he had actually purchased my first place quilt the previous year, right off the show floor. So Disparity is now owned by Baby Lock and he, he owns it. And he's like six foot three. Like he is, no, he's probably even taller than that. He is a super, super tall guy. And so even when I walked up to the stage, I stood next to him and there was a professional photographer that would take a picture with the recipient and whoever was giving the award. And I even remember making a little joke where I like stood on my tippy toes. So it's like, I was just like being silly that he's so tall that I was like hoping I was in the picture with him. And, and, and I'm proud of that moment. Like I look back yes. on that video and I'm grateful that I, at this sound like, will sounds like I don't want it to sound prideful or cocky, but I'm grateful that I didn't have to have a public display of like disappointment when I had no reason to really be disappointed. But I remember like in my heart feeling that shift and saying like, it's a good thing that I don't care that the validation of judges is not my first priority or I would be a lot more devastated right now. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know, that was kind of a tender mercy for me that just kind of helped me recalibrate. And so that's kind of why I have a love hate relationship with shows because I am a competitive person by nature. I'm number seven out of eight children. And so competition is in my blood. And so it's kind of something that I'm dismantling and relearning as an adult, how to be a a cheerful competitor, you know, but, but yeah, so that's kind of, that's so great experience to share.
0: I feel your pain. I am number seven of seven. So I know that feeling too. <laughs> A little add on yeah. at the end. Um, but I really appreciate you sharing your heart in that because all of us, all of us struggle with those sorts of emotions in one way or another. And I appreciate mm-hmm. you sharing um, what that feels like. Yeah. And and wasn't it the Apostle Paul who said, I've learned in whatever state I am to be content, you know? And so to find your validation in the creation of art is truly Mm -hmm. is a good thing. It's a good thing.
1: Yeah. And I think that's such a huge gift that we, that really when we're striving to be good artists, if we, if we are a master of our technique, but we never learn that contentment, what a sad thing that is, you know? So I'm, I'm grateful that I feel like my journey with quilting is not just tactile. It's not just physical. It's been kind of a rebirth for me as a creative and what that means. And how I connect, you know, how I connect to my own deity, even in terms of what I put out into the world. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: yeah. Okay. I'm going to pick up one point from that story and go back to it. You were talking about designing the fabric for your quilt. And Mm -hmm. maybe many of our listeners don't know what you mean by that. And this was kind of another iteration of your business, but maybe tell us about that since, since we've touched on it already.
1: Okay. So I, um, I went to school for graphic design so i definitely come from like a a digital background in terms of the art that i create i do a lot of computerized quilting designs um some machine embroidery design so i i definitely have a really strong background in um technology and how that can apply to the creative process and then i married a computer whisperer he's a software <laughs> engineer who You know, like he, if he has the gift of tongues, it's in the form of, uh, programming (laughs) languages. (laughs) I love it. um, Yeah. So, so it's cool because after I got married and I continued my journey with my relationship with art, it was only enhanced by the things that he was able to help me with. And one thing that I just, uh, really, really loved the idea of was creating a design and instead of trying to piece it or applique it or paint it onto fabric i started looking at the digital routes that i could take to achieve the aesthetic i wanted but in a way that my hands could actually produce that thing like i'm not a piecer i'm not an applique person i'm not even really a painter for being an artist like yes i can paint but i'm i wouldn't call myself a painter first and foremost so for me it just felt natural to do my design process all digitally and then have it printed onto a single piece of fabric so you know 90 percent of my quilts are technically whole cloth quilts because the design is achieved by fabric printing instead of piecing or applique or anything like that um so both the disparity quilt as well as royal huntress are both custom printed quilt tops that i designed digitally and then printed and then quilted over
0: Okay, got it. And you have um you have many facets to your to your business life, but that is one of them. You have a whole company that's around this process of printing fabric, and you're not the only yeah. designer in it. You have brought the work of multiple quilters to life in this way.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so this company is called Honest Fabric, and it was launched in 2018. Actually, I started promoting it when I was in Houston. Um, and I would stand next to my Royal Huntress quilt that was hanging in the show. And as people asked me about it, how I achieved the process, I would tell them about custom printing, large format pieces of fabric. So, um, so Honest Fabric was kind of born, not first and foremost as like a business venture. Like I wasn't like, oh, this is something that's going to make me a million dollars. That definitely was not my intention or process going in. Honest Fabric was more kind of like my love letter to the quilting industry. After everything it's given me, what could I do to give back? And so it was kind of built on the three main pillars of being fair trade, American made and eco-friendly. These were things that I felt like maybe our industry could do a little better at. And I thought if I could provide a platform for other artists who, um, could use an extra revenue stream or a platform where they could share their art and share it with other people in an accessible way, could I be the conduit that could help them do that? Um, And then in addition to those kind of pillars based on kind of like the business concept, um, it was also just me answering a need that I saw within the quilting industry that I didn't feel like was being answered. Um, So for instance, when I would try to print my own fabric, like we've all heard of Spoonflower, right? Like they're like this huge company that does lots of print on demand stuff. Um, I had actually tried to do the work that I was doing with Spoonflower and just didn't feel like I was getting exactly what I wanted out of it. Um, They do wonderful work. But for me, one thing that I really struggled with was not being able to print my entire quilt top all on one piece of fabric. So like Spoonflower specializes in yardage, right? And so actually my disparity quilt That design, I had had printed on two panels of yardage that I attempted to piece together and try to get the design to line up exactly. And if anyone has ever done that, like you have a special place in my heart because I will never try again. (laughs) It's so hard. It was so frustrating. And I hated the idea of having a beautiful quilt that has a seam going right down the middle of it and um so that quilt actually never got finished and it was it wasn't until a couple years later in 2017 when i had found these other opportunities of printing large format that i actually ended up executing that quilt without the seam down the middle um so so that was kind of one one area that it's like if i design something and have it printed i want it printed the size that i want so honest fabric we only do quilt tops so you can either do like a 51 by 60 Sixty-eight by eighty or eighty-eight by hundred and four. We don't do any yardage and we don't do any small panels. So another kind of perception that I had about um, panels, like a lot of people would call them cheater panels, right? And typically, what I feel like the market had was you'd have like a line of fabric where there's like twenty different prints, and then maybe there would also be another bolt that has a panel that's like forty-four by, you know, twenty-four inches, and this will sound judgmental, so just take it for what it is. It's totally my own opinion, but they were just kind of frumpy afterthoughts is how I felt. Like, I never felt like I could find a panel that I was like, this is a beautiful quilt all by itself. And so that was another thing that I wanted. I wanted quilt quilt tops that could be their own quilt top without piecing borders and without piecing sashing on it of a design that was just beautiful by itself, even Mm -hmm. without having yardage to, to go with it. And I constantly was finding all of these artists who had the most beautiful work that I would look at it and say, oh my gosh, I want that to be a quilt. I want that to be a quilt so bad. And so I reach out to artists, even some of the artists on Honest Fabric don't have anything to do with quilting at all. They just are incredible artists. And I think man, I wish the quilting industry could have access to their art as quilts. Because mm-hmm. I mean, once I became a quilter, every time I saw a beautiful piece of art, I'd be like, oh, that should be a quilt. Like that should just be in quilt form. And I and that's what language I spoke was, how could I turn this beautiful thing into a functional quilt? And so that was kind of another thing that I was trying to answer with Honest Fabric was, beautiful, large format designs that can just be quilts all by themselves and exist on their own. And so I started seeking out designers who could provide just that beautiful art that speaks for itself and supports the artist in the process.
0: And I've seen, because I've scrolled through your site quite a bit, and I've seen different things in there. So for example, you're talking about artists who, you know, then you print their work Mm -hmm. onto fabric, but I'm seeing um, people who produce beautiful patterns as well. So for the person who wants to piece, they can do it. For the person who doesn't love the piecing, but wants to get onto the quilting, or perhaps just wants a more um, time economical way of producing a quilt, that's an option for them. I also see a lot of it with folks like Angela Walters and Natalia Bonner who do class material. Materials. And it's just mm-hmm. an excellent economical way to do that. And then yes. people don't have to spend the time piecing their runner or their small quilter, whatever the quilting yes. class is about. They can just get right to the good part. So I love that it is yes. so versatile and so helpful to all of us quilters.
1: Yeah, that makes me happy. And I really love that aspect too, coming from when I, so when I got into the quilting industry, I was kind of thrown into the deep end of long arm quilting so i didn't really have this traditional path of like okay you piece a quilt and then you quilt it it was like i just want to quilt i want to learn how to use this machine i wanted the free motion quilting is what spoke to me i didn't have the skills to like piece a quilt top that was conveying the message that i wanted but through quilting i could do that and so that was another thing that i was trying to answer was how can i enable people to spend the absolute most amount of time with their quilting machine as possible. And I think there's a lot of quilters who just see piecing as a means to an end so that they can get to the quilting. And so if we can skip that, like there is merit in piecing, obviously.
0: My hand's way up in the air, by the way. (laughs) I'm that lady. Just get me to the quilting.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that it's like, you know, if you want to really level up your free motion quilting skills, you got to put in the time. But sometimes when you're spending 45 hours piecing a top, a lot of times there's quilters who will never take that to their frame because they're so scared of ruining it. Yes. And it's like, if if we can give these stepping stones in between, there will be times that quilters are going to quilt beautifully pieced and applique tops. And that is wonderful. But then there's also quilters who are like, hey, I need stepping stones that are low low risk, but also beautiful, right? Because sure, you could go to Walmart and get some flat sheets and quilt those till your heart's content. But the beautiful thing about Honest Fabric Panels is you also have a beautiful quilt by the end of that journey as well.
0: Yes, So agreed yeah okay I want to explore something else and I know we're not chronologically doing this correctly but I really want to talk about it okay your graffiti quilting style you said was born out of rebellion and I gotta tell you it's the most attractive looking rebellion I have ever seen (laughs) tell me more about that style
1: um okay so so graffiti quilting is definitely um something that I can confidently say I brought into the quilting industry um Because graffiti is, a, I mean, I wasn't like a vandal. I wasn't out with like a crew doing graffiti. But um, graffiti was definitely a part of my journey as an artist from a young age. Something that I studied, something that I looked at, something that I practiced, you know, on paper. I have sketchbooks from high school and middle school filled with kind of this, like being so enamored by the graffiti style. And it was so interesting how my aesthetic And my, like the styles that I gravitated towards with like bright colors and very bold and very kind of pop art style of graffiti, how that just kind of like French kissed all of the experience that I had had with like the quilt police, all of the rebellion quote that I had seen (laughs) in the industry. How every time I would break a quilting rule that the quilting police told me, it would enhance my. Aesthetic of my quilting. And so it was just kind of this perfect marriage between the aesthetic I was going for, but then also the entire thought process of what graffiti quilting is and how it's kind of like sticking it to the man in terms of like what is the traditional norm within the quilting industry. Like, if you haven't learned by now, I'm kind of a disruptor and I don't (laughs) try to be, but I think that's kind of my nature that usually when I come into a room, I'm a disruption. Or when I come into a new hobby, I disrupt, and when I'm learning something, I am rebellious, and I ask questions, and I question authority, and that's probably why I'm such a good business owner because I don't like having a boss. Like I'm just not the kind of person who likes to be told what to do, and so it serves me well, but it also gets me in trouble. But but you know, so so graffiti quilting was definitely um, me just kind of expressing myself and expressing my style. But then there were these little experiences with the quilting police that I would specifically go out of my way to break rules. And I found that breaking those rules completely pragmatically and very mindfully enhanced the aesthetic of the quilting. So, yeah.
0: It makes, <laughs> it makes your work stand out in a crowd because it's different. Mm-hmm. And I think it kind of did turn the quilting world on its head. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, that's how yeah. that's how new things are born. That's how new things are born. Just totally, yeah. yep. I totally love it. Yeah, we're just yeah. having such a good time here. But I have a couple more questions that I specifically want to get in, if we could. Kay. I love okay. to play this kind of roses <laughs> yeah. and thorns game. So like. When you think of your quilting business, because you wear a lot of hats, you do a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. What's kind of a favorite, a rose, and what's maybe a thorn, a less favorite thing to do that, you know, you've just got to get done and you can choose which one you want to go first
1: with? (laughs) Oh, man. I think, I I guess I'll start with a thorn and I'll get the complaining out of the way. Um, I think the thorn of business ownership for me is marketing and social media. Mm. Like, I it's such a necessary evil. (laughs) And I wish that one day I could become so successful that I could successfully still have a business where I could delete all of my social media presence (laughs) because Mm -hmm. it's so tiring to me. Um, So that's something that I, I'll I'll be honest, like I, I, I struggle to keep up. Like it's definitely a part of my business that it's like, I feel like the that's the rat race right of being a business Mm -hmm. owner is like constantly pimping yourself out constantly promoting yourself constantly um exposing yourself and kind of exhibiting yourself that for as loud as i am and as for as much as i disrupt it's weird that i'm also not like an exhibitionist anymore like i used to be i used to have to kind of really fight for attention again being part of a big family and being one of the youngest it's kind of in my nature to be noisy and fight for attention. Um, and then as I've grown older, I've kind of felt more secure in my relationships and kind of more secure in my identity and in my uh, my existence, so to speak, that now I just, I don't know. So I feel like social media is something that I have to mindfully tell myself to show up because it's not second nature to me to and I feel like- be loud on social media.
0: I feel like if you ever find the answer there let us all know because I'm sure as all entrepreneurs do and as I do you're always kind of listening to podcasts and reading things and YouTube videos and whatever about growing your business yeah. right and and the goal is always you get to choose your own hours and choose how much you work and you know yada yada but right. the truth right. is what you've just described if you don't keep sort of feeding the machine it really does peter right. out so yeah that right. is an ongoing balancing act yeah. and if if we had more time, maybe next time, we'll talk more about how that how <laughs> yeah. you balance some of those even with family and home life too, because I'm sure totally. that's something you consider a great yeah. deal as well.
1: yeah, well, and I love that you use the rose and thorn analogy because I would say that the thorn of social media the the very same rose that we're talking about um is also that I have found. So kind of what I the mantra I try to go by is I try to be a contributor not a consumer. So when I'm on social media it's easy to start consuming everything that I see. Mm-hmm. But if I show up in a way that it say, that I say like for instance um just yesterday I was working on a quilt and I was so just entrenched in getting this quilt done. And I thought to myself, okay, maybe I should be showing what I'm working on so this is the way that i can show up. and so instead of just getting on instagram and scrolling and scrolling and then posting a photo or whatever, i deliberately went to instagram and said, "okay, i'm going to make a reel showing what i'm working on and then i'm going to put my phone down and keep on working on that thing." and so for me, i have found that if i show up in a way that it's like, "okay, i'm here to share this thing and then i'm going to go on living my life," then i <clears throat> i feel i feel better. and so I think that's something that as a business owner we have to be careful of because it's so easy to become a consumer Mm -hmm. instead of being a contributor and so that's something that has helped me that it's like if I want to show up on social media I want to have something to say like I'm not the kind of person that's going to be like oh look I just ate breakfast now like nobody cares nobody cares about that Yes, yes you know and when people follow me as a quilter they don't care about what the sunset outside my house looks like they don't care about my dog. They don't care about my family. So I'm not going to share those things because nobody like, and yeah, maybe that sounds mean, but like nobody, nobody cares. And so I tried when I show up and when I do post things, I try to be very pragmatic and mindful that I'm showing the things that are appropriate for the whole reason why people are there to me. That's how I show respect for people's time. Like if they're going to take the time to follow me and to support my work and to, um, you know, comment on the things that I do, I'm going to be respectful of their time and not bombard their Instagram story feed with a bunch of crap that they don't care about.
0: So good, <laughs> so, so good. So
1: maybe part of that is like, have, yeah, like having a self-awareness as a business owner to be able to filter yourself in a way that you can um, enrich people's experience with whatever industry you're in um, without encouraging them to just become mindless consumers as well. So yeah, so I don't know. It's definitely a double-edged sword. But I have found that when I show up in that way of being a contributor, saying like, what is the thing that I want to share with the world? What's the thing that I feel like I can contribute? I have a much richer experience as a business owner. And so that's really valuable. So it's really the same rose and the same thorns of, you know, the same flower arrangement. And yeah.
0: I quite like that because of course... (laughs) Yeah, of course the rose and the thorn are the same plant And they, you know, receive Mm -hmm. the same food and water But there's a rose in one place and there's a thorn in another So there's kind of a life lesson in there somewhere, isn't there?
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure Yeah.
0: All right, well before we go, Carly Would you share with our listeners some little nugget that you have learned? It can have to do with quilting or crafting if you want Or life or art or toddlers or
1: whatever you like Oh my gosh. That's so hard. And I knew this question was coming and I still don't have a great answer. <laughs> I feel like, okay, like, surely like I your toddler so
0: said something funny today.
1: today. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, I do have funny stories, but, it, but again, it's like probably nobody thinks they're funny but me. It's like when people show you pictures of their kids on their phone and you're like, okay, cool. That's cute. But like, nobody cares as much as their parents do. <laughs> it's true, but. Um, no, I don't know. I like, I guess, I guess if I could leave, um, an impression after the end of this interview, by the way, this is way too short. So can we just like do this once a week? You betcha. (laughs) So, um, I think the impression that I would want to leave is, um, if I could remind everyone of anything within this industry, it's that there's room here for everyone. Um, i feel like a big part of my journey as a quilter um cuz i'm definitely not the traditional quilting demographic um i know that and i've been told that so i know that that's true and i have had throughout my journey so many experiences where i have felt othered or excluded you know either because of mostly because of my age so like let's be real about it i started quilting when i was you know 18 19 years old Um, and I felt like I had a lot to contribute and I felt like a lot of times I was kind of shushed just because of my age. And, um, I don't ever, I don't ever want anybody to feel like that. Mm -hmm. And so I think if I could, if I could share anything that I think is universal to all of us as creators, as, um, artists, as makers, um, it's just to remember that there is not a finite amount of space in this box. There is so much room for everybody. You know, there's room for traditional quilters. There's room for modern quilters. There's room for graffiti quilters. There's room for quote cheater panels. <laughs> there's there is room for everybody. And if we can stop feeling like if something good happens to somebody that it's somehow taking away from us, then that will leave so much more space for us to embrace each other. And I full, fully, fully, I, with my whole heart, I believe that, and I, and I don't. I hope that I can prevent experiences for other people that I went through in terms of the exclusion that sometimes happens within an industry, especially when you become a professional in that industry. Um, and so, just know that with me, there's an open door policy, and I don't. I want everyone to know that there is space for you. There's room for you. You are good enough, and, um, yeah. Yeah. I think we enrich this community together and we need each person contributing their own little brick and mortar on the foundation of what this beautiful, beautiful artistic technique is. And it takes each one of us contributing our own little thing. That's what makes up the whole. And it's so beautiful. And so my hope is just that anyone who wants to be a quilter becomes a quilter because Mm -hmm. there's space for you. There's space for you here. Yeah, I I feel like
0: that has maybe even shifted in the last ten years or so, five or ten, with the advent of social media. This is another rose portion of it. There's a lot of younger people now contributing, mm-hmm. posting, sharing because that's their yes. comfortable place. And I think that is changing. I think that there is a lot more openness to to um, different styles and aesthetics coming in, and I'm glad to see that happening.
1: Totally yeah me too we need more of it we need to us young folk can give everyone a run for their money so I'm here for it
0: (laughs) of course you can it's kind of funny I'm really Mm -hmm. age wise I'm among the older folk but I'm relatively new to the quilting industry myself less than 10 years certainly so I kind of I kind of see both sides of it yeah well Carly this has just been a joy and absolutely let's do it again It, it has been a real pleasure thank you so much for joining me
1: thank you for having me this has been awesome i could talk all day long so call me again
0: (laughs) thank you for tuning into the show if you enjoyed this podcast would you consider leaving a rating and review on the listening app of your choice And please, please do share this episode with your friends that you think would enjoy it. I'd love to hear from listeners who'd like to nominate a crafter with a story to tell. If you know such a person, or you are one, email me at info at stitchedbysusan.com. So until next time, may your sorrows be patched and your joys be quilted.